0: Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church, located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. You guys ready for the word? Moms, we honor you. Uh, I called my mom this morning, by the way, just got to let you know, just so thankful. Um, And I love how Mike T. just prayed for every mom, hopeful moms, everything. Today is one of those most celebratory days ever, but also going to be a hard day for some people. So if you're watching online, we're uh, praying with you and believing. Uh, my childhood best buddy, they uh, tried for nine years until they had a kid. And so uh, we're believing with you, and uh, I'm excited. Are you excited for church today? All right, we're in a series called This is Our God. We're in First and Second Samuel, and I'm going to read you a verse from Acts. It's going to make sense, I promise. Turn your Bibles to Acts 13.22. If not, we got it right here on the screen for you. Bam. Are you ready for it? Title of our series: This is our God. Title of a message: One life, one chance. That's intense. All right. Uh, Acts 13:22 says this: But God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, "I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do." Bible, 6.6 six books, thousands of pages. There's only one person in the whole Bible that is ascribed with one line saying, "A man after my own heart." It's an amazing statement. One sentence that summarizes David's life, 1st, 2nd, and 2nd Samuel. There's all these stories, David and Goliath. I mean, so many great stories about David. But the thing that summarizes life is one line, a man after God's own heart. Now, uh, Albert uh, Nobel, uh, he's pretty famous. He's the one who created dynamite, He basically dedicated his whole life to learning how to build explosives. And he thought when he created dynamite that he was going to create a world of peace because nobody would want to go to war anymore because it would be so explosive. The opposite happened. His invention caused thousands and thousands, if not millions, of deaths. And that's the story I've heard for a long time. You hear about the Nobel Peace Prize. But the thing that I never knew was um, eight years prior to Albert Nobel's death, uh, his brother died. And the newspaper got, uh, got bad information, and they thought he died. And so they wrote the, wrote the obituary for Albert Nobel, not the brother. So can you imagine being alive and see the newspaper and saying, died albert nobel like i didn't die i'm right here so it shows that he died and then it writes this story and it goes on to describe who albert nobel was but there was a line that bothered him and almost haunted him if you will it described him as the merchant of death because he had created dynamite can you imagine saying man this is what i'm going to be remembered for this one line this is what my life's going to be remembered for that that i created dynamite and that i am the merchant of death what a weird gift to be able to write, read your obituary before you die. And so Albert Nobel decided the last eight years of his life that he was going to change something. He realized, I have one life, I have one name, I have one chance, I'm going to change something. And so at the end of his days, he left all of his fortune, all of his wealth, the five prizes that were given out throughout the year. And of course, the most famous we know is the Nobel Peace Prize. But every prize to helped humanity. And so now when we think of Albert Nobel, we think of peace. We don't think of the merchant of death. Isn't it amazing that you and I, at the end of our days, we don't like to talk about it, and I know it's Mother's Day, forgive me, but our days will end, and people will talk about us. And what will be our one, our one line? Will it be, they were loving, and they were kind. Man, they loved God so much. And the reality is, if I could just encourage you real quick, tell everybody around you that you love what you would say at their funeral. I was at a funeral one time, and these people were just talking so sweet about this person. I was like, they should have heard this. Don't hold out on them. And the reality is, is that sometimes we look at our life, we go, I'll get around to living the life of greatness that God called me to live eventually. You don't get two lives. You don't get two 2022s. You get one. And my prayer today is that David's life would inspire you to actually process and think about living out a life where people would talk about you in a way that would say, man, they loved God with all their heart. Does that sound good? We you bow your heads and I'm going to pray. God, I pray that we would be those people that, when people think about us, and there's one line said about us, Lord, that there would be a line that would bring honor to you. That's really the goal. Maybe not to copy David and have the same line, but, but the goal and the aim should be that when people say our name and describe us, that it would bring glory to our God. And so, God, Mission Church right now, uh, as you watch us, Lord, I want you to know that there is a big old welcome sign. You are welcome in this place. Oh, have your way. Lord, do what you want to do. Oh, I pray that my words would fall to the floor and you words soar. And everybody said? I got to give a little context to the message today a little bit. So, we're talking about David. And David, of course, is this amazing uh, character in the Bible. Most covered person in the Bible outside of Jesus. Second place would go to Abraham, Abram to Father Abraham. 14 chapters is Abraham. Joseph would be tied with Abraham for second place, also 14 chapters. Elijah would come in third place with 10 chapters. But David, right outside of Jesus, is first place with. 66 chapters in the Bible. He's mentioned 59 times in the New Testament. There's something about David that God wanted us to see more than all the other followers of Jesus. There's something about him being throughout the Bible referred to. Even when Jesus was on the scene, they would say, Son of David, not son of anyone else. He was a grandson to many people in the Bible, but for some reason, David got the pub. And my hope today is we look at David's life, is that maybe, just maybe, we could almost picture David is with us in the room, and he's going to walk us through his life. I'm not going to be able to go through all six six chapters. I'm going to try to go through four chapters. But four chapters of David's life that would maybe inspire you, shape you, show you some biblical truths that would make you go, man, I want to live different because I have one life and I have one chance. It's it's a, a sobering thought, but it should also be an inspiring thought. That we have today to make it great, that we have today to give glory to God, and it's an amazing thing when you think about David. Uh, there's a lot of other people in the Bible that are impressive. Even in the book of Samuel that we're going to look at, uh, there's three kings that really uh, um, that are connected to David. The first one is Saul. Saul is what you'd say the strongest king. When they're looking for the first king of Israel, I'm not going to go into the theocracy and how they chose Saul, but I want you to know something. When they were looking for Saul, they were looking for somebody that fit the part even. And so when he was anointed, you got to know something. He was head and shoulders above the rest. Historians and theologians literally say he was a head taller than everyone else in Israel, knowing that he was good looking. So picture like a Brad Pitt, Chris Hensworth type, okay? Just raw, you know, maybe back in the day for you 90s kids, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Where's my, come on now, a little bit back. You know what I'm talking about? It is just strong, okay? So, and there's just something about that kind of physique that would lead a nation. So, so Saul was the strongest. And then there was David. We'll get to him. And then after him, Solomon succeeded him. Solomon, the Bible says, was the smartest man ever to live outside of Jesus, the wisest man ever to walk. So in the middle of Saul the strongest, Solomon the smartest, both of them had bad runs, didn't finish well. Why is it that David had the greatest run? Is because he was the most obedient. So strong, smart, obedient, yes. Do you like my sound effects? That's kind of cool, right? Yeah, okay, I'll stop that. I don't even know what I was doing. That was not in my practicing sermon yesterday. Okay. Um, see if I have got anything else. Another thing I could just simply say is um, Charles Spurgeon says the best that David's God's greatest paintbrush ever in the Bible. And what I mean by that is a paintbrush. Uh, if you're a real artist, you just don't grab any brush from TJ Maxx and paint. A real painter actually makes the paintbrush, makes everything about it. Literally labors on the paintbrush because they know they're going to be painting a masterpiece, so they're very particular. Just like our God, he doesn't just go get us from anywhere. He actually knits all of us and creates us. But then like a great paintbrush, the paintbrush knows where it finds its greatness, and it's in the hands of a great painter. And David knew that he couldn't paint his own masterpiece. David knew that he couldn't paint his own life. And so there's just something about a paintbrush knowing that it needs to get in the painter's hands. And David just knew that his life would always be best in God's hands. He always knew that his life would be best in God's will. And the sooner that you figure that out, you're one life, one chance, you're going to enjoy the journey of life. Can I get an amen for that? So let's, I'm going to do my best. This is not going to be easy. I'm probably not going to get through all of them. I did like seven just to have some fun. I'll probably get through three or four um, of David's story. But all I want to do is just share some stories about David. And hopefully when you leave here today, it would inspire you to be a great follower of Jesus. Does that sound good today? Sound like a good message? Happy Mother's Day, moms. Hopefully it's good. All right, here we go. Uh, first one David does, David passes the heart test. David passes the heart test. The first thing that if you want to live a life that God called you to live and live that one-line kind of life, you got to pass the heart test. And here's what it says in 1 Samuel 13, 14. I read in Acts, but I want to show you in 1 Samuel. But now your kingdom must end. It's talking about Saul. Saul did not pass the heart test. He gave God half a heart. He gave God half obedience. He gave God half attention. And if I could just tell you, half obedience is no obedience. Half a heart is really no heart. Half attention is no attention. And so he says, you've given God no obedience, and because of this, your reign must end. And for the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people, because you have not kept the Lord's command. So uh, i got to be honest. When I was a young believer, I was stressed out about this. Like, Lord, I don't want you to look at me and say, I'm done with you. I'm picking somebody else. I mean, that would freak you out as young. I mean, do you remember the verse in Matthew 22 that that many are called, but few are chosen? I was like, God, I don't want to be the ones that are called. I want to be the ones that are chosen. I mean, as a new believer, I would hear these intense verses. I'm like, oh my gosh, am I the lukewarm? Like, how how about this verse? Uh, They would be like, God, we know you. We did things in your name. And Jesus says, I never knew you. Depart. I'm like, oh my gosh, I hope, please, God, I don't want you to know me. I'd be stressed out about those things. And so I remember hearing about David. And I was like, how do you pass the heart test? How God, I don't, want, I don't want to fail the heart test. I don't want to be the one that you're like, I was looking throughout the world and I saw Tyler. <laughs> Let's pass him on by. I'm going to use that special effect a lot today, okay? Um, <laughs> and are like, nope, nope, nope. Yeah, this guy. Lord, please, please, I want to. I just don't you even know what that means. Let's leave that thought there real quick. I want to share another thing about my life with you. Um, I absolutely hate, 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 hate moving. Anybody else hate moving? The only thing that I hate more is helping you move. (laughs) To recap, I hate moving, but I hate helping you move even more. I don't care how you package it. Hey, we're having a moving party, free pizza. You want to help me move? No, I don't. Maybe it's because I was scarred as a youth pastor. I was always the mover. Oh, you're young. You're strong. Can you help this person in church? Shane Russell, where's Shane Russell at? Shane and I, I, Shane's not in service. (laughs) Put an APB out for Shane Russell, okay? Tell him the Holy Spirit. Hey, there's Shane. Shane, you can attest this. Shane and I go way back to the L.A. days. We worked at Media City Church. Shane was serving, became um, on staff there eventually too. And um, Shane served in Youth With Me even when I was a youth pastor in Burbank, California. And we would just get hired to move people. And there was one that scarred me for life, and Shane was with me. Show up to this lady's house, don't even know who she is, but you're like, Tyler, you're the youth pastor of this lady's at our church, let's show her some love, go help her move. Show up to her house, nothing is packed. <laughs> Clothes in the drawers, food in the fridge. And she's like, had this really hard week, her husband's been terrible, and she's just sitting there, I don't know how I'm gonna do this. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. We packed her stuff up for her. We moved her stuff in a truck too small we had to make multiple trips but i'll never forget the my least favorite part of this move and it was simply this is that she was living uh, going up to a second bedroom apartment and she had one of those big screen tvs not like the, the thin screen we're talking like the square box ones and i got to carry it up a stair and i'm on the back and have you ever had a moment where you're like this is literally how i'm gonna die i'm gonna be killed by a tv seriously god serving your people I remember moving up to that TV, and I remember saying to myself, I will never help anybody move again. God, you have my whole life. They do not. And as my days went on, and I realized how hard it was to move, is I figured out who my real friends were. You want to know who passed the friends test? Call them and ask them, will you help me move? Real friends say yes. Bad friends say, oh, I'm out of town that day. I can't miss work that day. I just hurt my back. I'm not allowed how people move anymore. The ultimate friend test is will they help you move? So I told you I hate moving. So I called my friends to help me move. It's about a year ago. Not only do you want to pass a friend test, I was remodeling my house. I called friends to help me remodel my house. Where's Stephen Bolar at? Stephen Bolar passed the friend test one year ago, almost to this day. We're remodeling the house. Stephen comes over and he rams his foot into an open nail. It literally hits a vein. A rusty nail and he's like Tyler I'm hurt bad and I was like sniper soldier down you know one of those moments and I saw it could have been bad but I was in mission mode I was like oh that looks terrible let's keep pulling the carpet up Steven I literally just blow by I'm like hey come on man we're ripping carpet out and so he's like yeah okay I'll stay here and take the nails out and so Steven's limping all day and taking out the, the little things and eventually gets home and it throbs and he's got to go to the doctor get a tetanus shot he's alive by the way he's fine But after that season of my life, I said, these people, I'll pass the friend test. I've searched to and fro. I've looked around, and I have found the right friends in my life, ones that are willing to get tetanus shots for me to help me remodel my house, live heavy stuff. Now, let's, let's double down on this thought. Jesus, God, Holy Spirit, oh, is looking throughout the earth. And it's an interesting test, and I think I came to this conclusion the more and more I read my Bible what God was looking for. As a young believer, it stressed me out. What is that heart test, God? How do I pass it? But the reality is, is that 90% of communication is body language. It's not even words. And I would submit to you that 90% of your spiritual language to God is not even words. It's just your body language. The word presence in the Old Testament is the ultimate thing that every believer should aspire to want from God. And the Hebrew word for presence is literally just meaning face-to-face, eyes-to-eyes. And there's just something about David's body language to God that was eyes to eyes, face to face, you have my whole attention. Have you ever been out to dinner with a spouse or a friend or on a date and they're on their phone while you're talking to them? Anybody raise your hand. Everybody, you're guilty of that, right? Or moms, have you ever been with your kid and you're talking to them and they're listening, but they're not really listening? Their body language is telling you, I wanna go play, a frisbee, I want food and you're trying to tell them, I love you, God has to you. Have you ever been there? They're with you, but they're not with you. And the reality is, if you look at Saul's life, the reason why Saul failed the heart test was simply this. He was with God, but not with God. He was at the table, but not at the table. He was following, but not really following. Let me tell you why he gets dismissed, if I could just summarize Saul's thing, and why David was picked. Saul was commissioned by God, anointed by God, chosen. If you're he was called, but he just didn't live out that anointing, that, that, that being picked. And so he told Saul, here's my first thing I need you to do. Because if you read Acts, it says that God found somebody that would do everything that God needed him to do through him." And so he asked Saul, will you get rid of the Amalekites? And it sounds like a ruthless thing for God to say, delete all the Amalekites, delete all the cattle, delete all of them. But the reality is when God says he's looking for a man of his own heart, what it really means, the translation is, he's looking for somebody to rule and love like his heart would rule in love. So he's saying, I'm looking for somebody who would lead like me, love like me, create justice like me. That's what it means to have a heart after God. And so he's saying to Saul, Saul, I need you to have my heart. I need you to love like me, live like me. I need you to uh, create justice like me. The Amalekites at this time, if I could just uh, communicate it, I remember just being bothered, like, God, why would you have him get rid of all the Amalekites and kill all the cattle? Because every other war at this time was simply for your nation to get rich and to get expanded. And so what you would do is you would kill people, not all of them. You would take the strongest and make them slaves or ransom them. And then you would take their cattle and become wealthier. And God goes, you are not a normal nation. And this is not for you to be greedy. This is not a selfish move. This is a justice move. The Amalekites in this region, if I could just use a a modern day um, kind of picture, they were the Nazis of of this time. They were the worst of the worst, and they were not going to change. And so God goes, I'm going to create justice in this region. I'm going to get rid of this, this right here. You will not get rich from it because that's what normal kings do. You will not benefit from it. That's what normal kings do. We're just creating justice right now. And Saul, guess what he does? He goes and wins the victory, but he keeps the best and brightest of the Amalekites because he wants to ransom and he keeps the best and the fattest of the calves. And when Solomon comes back to Saul and says, man, what are you doing? God said that you couldn't do this. And he goes, oh, uh, uh, he's like, you're done. He goes, okay, let's go, bur- uh, let's, go have a, let's go burn an offering real quick. And all Saul was saying is, I am halfway with them. I'll do the religious activities. He even said, I'm down to do the religious activities to fix this. Okay, I'm, I know I disobeyed you. I'll go to church on Sunday now. Say, I don't want you to go to church on Sunday, Saul. God wanted your heart. Yeah. Can I tell you something real quick? Let's, let's go back to the friend test. The friend tells us this, will you help me move? And if you said yes, you're my real friend. Well, the reality is, is God's saying, I'm looking for somebody to help me have people move. I'm looking for somebody to help me move. Not move things, move people. Can I just submit this to you real quick? The problem with the world today is not a sin to get rid of. If we could just get rid of this one sin. Oh, if we just get rid of sexual sin, we'd be fine. If we get rid of this one sin, we'd be good. If we could just fix this one political thing, we'd be fine. That's not what's wrong with the world. you want what's wrong with the world? People have turned away from God. Rebellion is real. People have rebelled and turned, and God's saying, I'm looking for some movers. I'm looking for some people to say, will you help me move people back again to me, to turn their face towards me. I don't want half their face. I don't want half their attention. Oh, David, you just, there's something about that you mess up. Oh, David messes up all the time in the Bible. But David's one of those people, when he's with God, he comes right here to him. And he's saying, David, will you be my mover? Oh, would you? And the reality is, is the reason why David passed the heart test is David was the greatest mover of all. God, I'll move anywhere you want me to move. There's this rhythm in David's life. He would inquire of the Lord. He would inquire of the Lord. What does that look like? Eyes to eyes, face to face. What do you want from me? What do you want? Even times when you mess up, the reality is is that Saul and David both messed up drastically. But a heart of rebellion deals with mess ups differently. A heart of rebellion deals with religion and halfway things. I was a youth pastor for nine years. I I could see a heart of rebellion in two seconds. You want to know what it was? It was this question from kids. Hey, I'm gonna go to a party this uh, Friday. How far is too far at this party? (laughs) And you don't love the Lord yet, kid. The question you just asked me is how far away can I get from God and still have him be useful in my life? I don't find him beautiful, I find him useful. How much can I do before I get married that's allowed that I won't get in too much trouble? How much can I drink at this party? How much can I do at this party? All that is is saying, I got a heart of rebellion, I don't wanna rebel. How much can I rebel without getting in trouble? David, when he would mess up, was not asking questions of like, oh, he would say, don't take your face from me, God. God. I don't want to miss your presence. Will you renew the joy of my salvation, A.K. will you renew the joy of the first time that I got to see you face to face and it changed my life forever? There's something about that kind of heart that just passes the heart test. Oh, if you want to be that kind of person, all it is is simply this. 90% is body language, right? I don't want people want to talk to me when they don't want to talk to me. I know when I'm talking to somebody, they want me to wrap it up. Right. <laughs> All the heart test is this, is, God, I'm not leaving it until you want me to go do the next thing. My body language simply says, I want to hear, and when you are done talking to me, when you're done doing whatever you need to do, then I'll move on to the next thing you want me to conquer. And here's what I know, you're going with me even then. Can we pass the heart test, church? Amen? David passed the heart test. Let's keep going. Second thing is, so let's keep just going in the story a little bit. Uh, David uh, was chosen by God. He was chosen by God. So so David didn't even know. 1 Samuel 13. David wasn't even there when he knew he was uh, uh, being scanned in the world. Isn't that amazing? I always tell uh, people this for jobs and anything else. Most decisions about you, you will not be in the room. Job promotions, job hirings, you won't be in the room to defend yourself. When I'm hiring somebody, I don't bring them in. Hey, so I'm thinking about hiring you. Here's some things I'm thinking. They're like, oh, yeah, here's an... I never do that. What I do is, is I watch people for a season, and then I have a Rolodex in my head that says, that person, I can't wait to hire them. I talk to other people about them. We brag about them, but I never talk to them. Promotions and promotions from the Lord and promotions in the world. You won't be in the room. Man, navigate well. Amen? Okay, so David is chosen by God, 1 Samuel 16. It's one of my favorite uh, stories in all the Bible. It's just an amazing story of uh, God picking the one that nobody thought would be picked. And if you don't feel like that person yet, you really don't know the gospel. Because all of us were the one that shouldn't have been picked, but we got picked. Oh, it's just a good story. Here we go. Ready? 1 Samuel 16, David is chosen. Now the Lord said to Samuel, you have mourned long enough for Saul. I reject him as king of Israel, so fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I've selected one of his sons to be my king. It's interesting. Something you'll find in this story that God does a handful of times is he allows us to mourn, but he does call us to move. And he corrects Samuel, not for mourning, but for mourning too long. When mourning becomes your identity and mourning becomes your rhythm of your life for a long time, listen to the nudges of God saying, now's the time to get back up and it's time to move on to the next great thing. I pray that if you're somebody who's been stuck in mourning and it's been maybe a little too long, maybe a friend like, hey, it's time to go for it. I pray that you would hear it well. But Samuel asked, How can I do that? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. Take a heifer with you, the Lord replied, and say that you have come to make a sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you which of his sons uh, to anoint for me. So Samuel did as the Lord instructed. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town came trembling to meet him. What's wrong, they asked. Do you come in peace? Yes, Samuel, I replied, uh, replied, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Purify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then Samuel performed the purification rite for Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice too. They knew right there, oh, we're about to do this. in my family, right there, if you know the, the cultural context, Jesse knew, one of my sons is about to get anointed to be king. So they all get ready, except one. One doesn't get invited. Let's keep going. When they arrived, Samuel took a look at Eliab and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. So they start bringing the sons. The oldest son comes in. And you know something, the, 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 the oldest son is usually the heir. That's just how it works. And not only Eliab, he's the tall-looking one, good-looking one. He's tall and strong. Um, anybody love the show, uh, the movie William Wallace? One of my favorite uh, movies, Braveheart. Anybody love that? Oh, it's such a good movie. The reality is, is it doesn't really depict who William Wallace was. William Wallace in real life, they said he was about 6 feet 6 inches. And his sword was 5 feet 6 inches. The height of his sword was how tall Mel Gibson actually is in real life. (laughs) And when you're looking for a king, you're looking for somebody who has long sword reach and who is taller because at this time in battling, it is the most superior tactic. It is an edge on everybody. If I can reach you with my sword before you can reach me with your sword, I will destroy you. And so that's what everybody was looking for. It came up this way. Uh, People were looking for a king. God was looking for a heart. Men are always looking for talent. God's always looking for obedience. And so people are looking for flash. God's looking for faithfulness. And so if I can be honest, Samuel will see here in just a second, uh, sees them. And Samuel says, surely this is the one. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Um, Reality is he's saying, hey, Samuel, you're about to be spiritually pickpocketed. The flash is about to have you pick something you shouldn't pick. Uh, Another one is is if you've ever been to a magic show, you shouldn't because magic is evil. But if you've ever been to one um, or seen one on TV, the way a magic trick works is they create all this stuff over here while the real stuff's happening over here. So look right here, and then bam, magic trick happens. And the reality is is that he is spiritually distracted by the height and the looks and the resume, because if I'm being honest, we're resume culture, and so were they back then. And so the resume is how you get spiritually pickpocketed. And if you could, yeah, I'm going to say it. I debated it the whole time. When people decide to move their life around, decide what I call there's why decisions, um, where am I going to go eat lunch today? Me, I'm going to go get, uh, I love uh, eating Kevin's Noodle House. I eat uh, like a little, uh, like a broth thing. It's delicious. That's what I get every lunch after service, just so you know. It's amazing. Um, but for dinner, I'm having burgers and fries. Amen. Okay. Um, so that's a why decision. Not going to change my life. Might change my calorie intake, might change my cholesterol for the day, but it's not going to change my life. T decisions. Who am I going to marry? Where am I going to work? Where am I going to live? Those are, tea de- those are life-changing decisions. And I've met way too many Christians that have been spiritually pickpocketed. Oh, you know, I'm marrying this potential. He's really cute, he's dreamy, and he's super successful. Can I tell you, marrying potential is one of the most dangerous things you could ever do? Yeah. Let me say, well, I, I, I want I to live here, but if I move there, I could have this kind of house. And, and so it's fascinating me that the, the reasons why people move and why people pick careers, we discount the things that God elevates. I think people should move. Can I tell you something real quick that I've heard from people that are trying to move back right now? I'm just going to tell you, people that are literally said, hey, we moved to Michigan thinking that was what we were supposed to do. We had no idea how hard it was to find community and a church that God needed us to. We're moving back. I'm, I'm not, this isn't a hey, don't-you-dare-move thing. What I am saying is you have to process why are you doing what you're doing. God elevates relationship, community, character, heart. Oh, the world's resume, if you're choosing a decision like that, Oh, you'll be making U-turns all the time because those T decisions should never be made by just the eye. It should be made by spiritual and biblical things. Can I get an amen for that? Amen. That was not a PSA. Don't move. You can move. God will bless you. Amen. Um, but process it. Okay, okay. Uh, then Jesus told his sons, uh, "Abinadab, to step forward and walk in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, This is not the one the Lord has chosen. Next, Jesse summoned Shimea. But Samuel said, Neither is this the one the Lord has chosen. In the same way, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen any of these. Then Samuel asked, Are these all the sons you have? And the translation of the NLT is not very good. It says, They're still the youngest. That's the worst translation it could have given you at this moment. It says there's still the one outside, and then you get to the Hebrew. It says, yeah, we have a runt, and he's outside. Literally, the Hebrew is like, well, the runt of the family is outside. He's 15. We have no idea. I mean, he's, we have no idea what he's going to be. He's, he's a ruddy little kid. I, had, I could have betted my farm that you wouldn't pick him to be king. That's why I didn't even invite him. You know what I love about the gospel? God always picks the runt of the litter, the ugliest ones. I'm going to be honest the the it's always the second it's not the first so is the one overlooked and the kingdom of god there's just something about that when we think oh oh, god you never chose me did can i read you a verse real quick we've all been chosen i want to read this real quick i'm going to finish this and then we'll get back to this thought so Samuel said send for him once we will not sit down eat until he arrives i just love that thing we'll not sit down and eat until he arrives I guarantee the brother's like, oh, we got to wait, sitting and looking at the food. I just picture that. Start picturing the Bible a little more, you'll really enjoy what you read. Like, we're not going to eat till David comes. The brother's like, ugh. Oh, fine, I'll we'll sit here and wait. You know, not only am I not king, but now I can't eat, and I got to look at my food. Okay, anyways. Um, so Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome and beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, this is, one, this is the one, anoint him. So as, uh, as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took a flask of olive oil he had brought out and anointed David with oil. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on, then Samuel returned to Ramah. It's an amazing thing. I was like, Lord, would you pick me like that? Have you picked me like that? And I want to read you a verse that if you've said yes to Jesus and been saved, this is for you. And if you haven't been saved yet and you haven't said yes to the Lord, we're going to hook you up at the very end, okay? Um, 2 Corinthians 1, 21-22 says this, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, chose us. Set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. That word anoint that David had is literally to be consecrated for a position, to be consecrated for a place. And the reality is, you and I have all been chosen. And if you're David at that moment and you got chosen and you're 15, can we all agree you hit the lottery? Can we agree with that? Like, hold on a second. I was out with the animals, not even invited in, and now I'm going to be king of Israel. 777, jackpot, can we agree with that? Has anybody in here what won the lottery? Didn't think so, because we'd have a building already, but anyways, <laughs> um, but if we just keep going, keep going. you like, oh yeah, I won the $1 billion Powerball. You did? <laughs> and we're here right now? Anyways, um, I started one of my buddies yesterday, and he was talking about, you know, he's like, I play the Powerball once in a while, and he goes, I've already committed to the Lord. I love when people like they're like making a deal. With the Lord, I committed to God. If I win, I'm going to get my pastor some, and I'm going to get my church a building. A.K. I'll take the 700 million, and I'll give a little bit to the Lord. like. God's like, oh, I'll pick you to win the lottery. Anyways, so I think it's adorable, and if it does happen for my buddy, I'm excited. I love my buddy. Shout out, by the way. Um, and so um, uh, I, was, I just been I on this thought yesterday, and so I remember asking, I was like, okay, would you take the um, annual payments? Like, you know, like the the yearly installments? uh, Or would you take the lump sum? sum. Okay, all right. (laughs) Let's do a survey. All right. Who here would take the lump sum if you won a billion dollars in lottery? Who would take the annual payments? A lot of responsible people at our church. Okay. (laughs) Statistically, more responsible people here than other places. The majority of people, 70 or higher percent, take the lump sum. Give me my money. And then if I could just tell you something real quick, 70% of lottery winners go bankrupt within seven years. That doesn't make sense to me. I was like, well, everybody should take the annuity. Every year for the next 40 years, 50 years, whatever you want, you won't go bankrupt. But everything, no, give me all of it. I'll be fine. It's a billion. How could I ruin a billion-dollar lottery? People find a way. And the reality is, is, if David was hanging out with us today, like I said, if we can just picture David, David was chosen. And as he's chosen, he's like, woo! And you would think, God's like, here's your lump son, <laughs> you're king. That actually is how Saul played out. Saul, you're king. I'm king? Sweet. Sounds good. And the reality is, is that David, for the next 15, maybe 16 years, depends on, you know, when it started, but 15 to 30, God takes him through this deposit. Here's a little bit of that promise. Here's a little bit of that promise. And he develops David in the desert. He develops David against Goliath. He develops David in the cave. He just develops him. So then when David is king, Israel has the greatest run ever. And if I could just submit this to you real quick, if all of us could say, can I just have my heart's desire right now? We would raise your hand if you would want all of it right now. We, same thing, don't, you don't have to do it. you're already telling yourself the lottery, okay? <laughs> God is too kind. Saying, if I chose you, it means I will develop you. And this is the big deal right now. I need you to hear this real quick. A lot of us think if God chose us, then our life will be great right now. But the promise of being chosen is the promise of being developed. The promise of being chosen is the promise of being refined. And it's the greatest promise God could ever give you. It's not a promise of punishment. It's the promise of preparation. Because if you allow him to develop you when he chooses you, just watch what could happen with your life. But not only your life. What I love about David is the reason I love David's story is not because his life was blessed, but because the, everybody around him was blessed because he was blessed. Yeah. Oh, a whole nation was blessed because he was so obedient and he was willing to go through all just the junk. If you're willing to go through the junk for other people and come out on the other side forgiving and soft, what could, what could your life look like? Can I get an amen for that? I got one minute and 20 seconds. And I'm going to give you my last two points, but condensed. Does that sound good? All right, let's try it. Next one is David steps up. David steps up. So, if you're going to live one life, one chance, you, you got to pass the heart test. A.K. God, you got my full attention. I don't want to see how much I can just, you're not useful to me. You're beautiful to me. I, I, I don't want to take my eyes off you. Then, not only that, you're chosen, but what does it mean to be chosen? How do you navigate that? And the third one is this now that you're chosen and now you pass the heart test, it's time to get to work. Can I just say real quick? Christianity is not for the lazy, it's not. In the Bible, there is seeking, there is pleading, there is laboring, there is fighting. And David, something I love about him is he just gets to work. He starts serving, he starts doing all these things. And not only that, his desert season that we're not gonna touch on today is what prepared him for his Goliath season. Don't ever neglect the seasons before. God uses all those, all things for the glory, all things for those who love him. So all those bad things, all those things when he felt neglected, all those mundane days, God uses it. For one of the greatest moments in all the Bible, in all history, it's the Goliath moment. I'm going to just read a little bit of it, but I think we need to hear it today because I want to take a bent on it. You ready? 1 Samuel 17. So uh, David uh, is now anointed king, but he's still serving, still just doing little things. Dad tells him to you know, deliver some, uh, some crackers and some food to his brothers, to the war, to the front line. And so he, he does that. And so David's hanging out and goes, what's going on? Why is anybody fighting? What's up with this guy taunting? All these, like, he's got questions. So David's asking questions. And that's where we're picking up. But when David's oldest brother Eliab heard David talking to the man, he was angry. What are you doing around here anyway, demanded? What about those few uh, sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? Woo! His brother just trying to cut him. Hey, don't, don't you have a little job to take care of those little few sheep? Don't ever let anybody talk down to your season. Don't let anybody ever talk down to what you're stewarding right now in the season. You, you, my first season in youth ministry, I had six youth kids. My youth ministry was six kids. Chad Beach was one of our, you know, uh, overseers, comes and preaches. I remember him telling me, it was one of our first meetings, he goes, you preach to those kids like there's a thousand in the room, and you preach like a hundred are going to get saved. And so I remember I'd, I sat the six kids down in the front row, you know, and I just, um, you know, uh, led worship with a CD because uh, we had nobody, you know, to help out. And they're sitting there, and I was like, Da-da-da-da! just preaching, not even looking at them, like there's a thousand. <laughs> Stewarding my six, you know. Then we had nine the following week, then 12. And I remember going to a youth group and uh, somebody, uh, um, like a pastor's gathering, and then saying, hey, uh, if you're a youth pastor, stand up. We want to pray for you. And I wouldn't even stand up. I was like, I'm not a youth pastor yet. 12 kids doesn't make me a youth pastor. It makes me like a dad of 12 kids. I don't know what I am. I remember I wouldn't even stand up. And it's amazing. I I saw myself as small. And uh, it's a dangerous thing when you see yourself as small. Because the following year, our youth group became one of the biggest youth ministries at the camp, and I walked around as arrogant as I'll get out, cock-a-doo-a-dooing everywhere, thinking I was the greatest thing since sliced bread, pants with pockets, you name it. I thought I was the coolest. And I remember, I remember sitting there, and there was this moment where I was bragging about how great our youth ministry was going and how we were from seven to you know half the size of our church I mean every other kind of stuff blah 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 we came in a car and now we're coming in buses as a youth group and I remember just grieving the Holy Spirit because the reality is is that the task should never ever wait on how big you are how small you are the only thing that should ever be big in your life is Jesus and everything else is just a task and David got that but the brother didn't understand that so he would cut deep the way you could cut deep So if you talk that way to people or you see life that way, just remove it. Saul did the same thing. Saul looked at, oh, may we be a people that makes one thing big, God only, and everything else is just, it is what it is. Does that sound good? Let's keep going. Uh, uh, So anyways, he goes, what about those few sheep you're taking care of? I know about the pride and your deceit. You just want to see the battle. Woo! So much. I could just, I I could preach. This could have been like a, a whole year sermon series, six, six chapters. But just, isn't it interesting that he, uh, David has a person who lives with him, and a family member, says, "I know about your pride and your deceit in your heart." Are we talking about David, the one that God said a heart after a heart after me, a heart that leads like me and loves like me? Don't ever allow a toxic person to say what's in your heart. There's something—it's crazy to me that that David is honest, Because if I'm being honest, as you navigate in ministry, as you navigate in life, as you navigate with anything, people will judge your intentions for the rest of your days. I am not here to please you. I'm here to please God. And if, that, if I know that in my heart and I know that I'm trying to do my best, I don't care what's the worst thing you say about me or the best thing you say about me. It's one of the most famous quotes ever. If you live for the praises of man, you're going to die on the uh, critiques of man. I really don't care what people say. I care what God says. And so I just love this about David. All this stuff could have, Now David is, like, okay, yeah, noted, noted. Anyways, can we move on from this? I love that this isn't a big part of David's story because David doesn't allow it to be a big part of his story. Don't allow it to be a big part of your story also. Let's keep going. What have I done now, David replied. I was only asking a question. He walked over to some of the others and asked the same thing and received uh, the same answer. Then David's question was reported to King Saul. The king sent for him. Uh, And David walks up. I love this. Don't worry about the Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. Where does he get this courage? Can I tell you something real quick? Don't ever discount the spirit of the Lord in your life. Throughout Genesis to Revelation, when the spirit of God would come on somebody, courage would be connected to it. Gideon, boom, Spirit of God, courage. Samson, Spirit of God, courage. When the Spirit of God would come on Peter, before the the Holy Spirit came on him, I don't know who Jesus is. Who's Jesus? I don't know. Leave me alone, little girl. Get out of here. Then he gets uh, the Holy Spirit on him. He's boasting and proclaiming in front of thousands who his God is. When the Spirit of God gets on your life, God does not get a spirit of timidity, no, but of courage and sound mind. Come on now. There is something about the Spirit of God on your life. So he has some courage on him. I'll go fight for him. I love this answer. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man since his youth. There's a lot of truth in that statement, but here's what he doesn't know. Uh, is If he fights him sword to sword and spirit to spear, he'll lose. But if he fights him sling to sword, he'll win. And I think the same thing is there's no way that this Bay Area can get revived if we just try harder. We'll never win. We'll never win politically. We go politics to politics, argument to argument. What if we went prayer to uh, this barrier? What if we went kindness to unkindness? What if, we, what if we fought with different weapons? Maybe, just maybe, what people said was ridiculous that we couldn't win. Maybe we actually could win. Yeah. And so there's uh, three types of leaders. Uh, um, whenever you read a leadership book, they always say there's three types of leaders. One is uh, leaders that make things happen, leaders that watch things happen, and leaders that have no idea what's happening. <laughs> Those three. And throughout the book of Samuel, you'll see it. Um, Samuel's... Um, Prophet before him had no idea, Eli he had no idea what was happening. What's happening? Oh my gosh, like I, I, the sons are doing terrible things, and then Saul is just letting things happen. He's literally, for 40 days, like the problem will take care of itself. I'm just going to sit in the tent. They're waiting for the king to go challenge him because that's what's supposed to happen. But Saul, for 40 days, like I can't beat Goliath. What am I going to do? I'm just going to sit here. And, and isn't it funny? Some of the worst things in our life, we just want to sit and just let them take care of themselves. They never take care of themselves. And so leaders make things happen. And here's what I mean by that look throughout the Bible noah builds a boat for years and then water comes elisha prays for rain god says dig a ditch oh i could i could go on i got a ton of these abraham all right god will follow you just go where i don't know just go Let, let, let me keep going naaman oh you want to be healed dip seven times what about another one elijah build an altar All these things are one action after another. I always wonder, God, what is my role in this? And my role is is some of this, get to work. Start praying, start loving, start serving. And when I start getting to work, it's going to maybe look silly at first. Can you imagine, Elisha was praying for rain, and the instructions uh, he gives the people is, dig ditches. The church, for a season, I think, will always look a little funny. It looks funny to just have a prayer time at Tuesday, pre-service prayer. Sometimes it just looks funny to do this and that. But in time, I mean, I remember sitting in the backyard with 27 people when we launched the church and just saying, I'm believing that we're going to see a thousand salvations. Sounded funny at the time, but we got to work, and we now have seen a thousand plus salvations. All of us want the miracle, but not a lot of us want to get to work. There's work in that miracle. Can we all get to work? Amen? Amen. I'll finish with this last one. Um, I've got more, but I'll only give you one more. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. This is a fast one, very fast one, but I think I want to conclude with it. And it's in 2 Samuel 5. David now is 15 years later. He's going to be anointed king. It's a powerful moment. But the Philistines know now, wow, this guy is going to be king. We have to send everything we got. And can I just tell you real quick, almost a, a prophetic um, uh, telling of the enemy, is when opposition gets really, really great, there's a reason why. There's a reason When you start living for God and things get hard, the enemy wants to stop you moving forward in the things of God. It wants to stop you from plugging into community. It wants to stop you plugging in from giving and being generous and serving. And so David's about to walk into his promise. And I want you to catch this real quick. So he's about to walk into his promise. All opposition sent his way. And again, we know this story. Where there's an obstacle, there's an opportunity. I get it, but this is what I like even more than that truth. And here's this. When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king of Israel, they went up in full force to search for him. But David heard about it and went down to the stronghold. Some of you, you're in that season right now, you feel like the enemy's giving full force to your life. I want, I want to encourage you real quick. If you're fine right now, you can listen to this and have in your back pocket for somebody you need to share it with. But if you're in the house right now, I want to share something real quick. If you are in a season where you feel like the enemy has just landed blow after blow spiritually, emotionally to you, or you feel like you've just taken it on the chin, this is for you. This would be, if David could be here and say, man, if you want to live that kind of life, I, he, would, he would share this. I, I guarantee this would be one of the moments he would want to share with you. So if you're somebody, you've been through it, lean in a little bit more real quick. Put your phone down. If you're doing great, pick your phone up. Record. care. Okay, here we go. They went up in full force to uh, the search for him, but David heard about him and went down the stronghold. Now the Philistines had come and spread out in the valley of Rephim. a.k.a. they're trying to surround him. So David inquired of the Lord. There, you'll see that all the time, by the way. Shall I go attack the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hands? The Lord answered, Go, for I will surely deliver the Philistines into your hands. So David went to Belperazim. So David went to Belperazim. You read past that, and if you don't know the translation, that literally means the Valley of the Giants. It's been marked by a place where giants would win. So he's going to go down to the Valley of Giants and fight the giants, and let's see what happens. And there he defeated them. He said, as water breaks out, the Lord has broken out against my enemies before me. So that place was called Baal-perizim. The Philistines abandoned their idols there, and David and his men carried them off. Forgive me, I forget the other name. I don't have my notes. I failed you, but there's two names that happened there. Uh the Valley of Baal Perizim, which, you know, the Valley of Giants. He sits there and he says, God broke out like water broke out. And so he literally tells his people, I'm renaming this valley, and we're going to call it the Valley of uh, the God who breaks out. This will now be known as the place where the God who breaks out. It's interesting that a valley that was known for giants, from that point on, David goes, "Now nope, I'm renaming the valley. It used to be called Giants. Now it's called uh, the God of Breakthrough." And the reality is, if you hang out in the valley long enough and not give up and you fight, you'll be able to rename your valley also. And David, not being afraid of being surrounded in the full force, said, God, can I have victory in this valley? You can have victory in this valley. Or I'm going to go to this valley, and this valley right now is called despair. This valley is called betrayal. This valley is called whatever the season you have in your life. You can call it that valley. But if you allow God to break through, it will be called the valley of breakthrough. Oh, God wants to break through in your life. The only reason why David was great is because he allowed God to do great things in his life. Will you do the same? Will you bow your heads with me? I don't know if it's your first time, your second time in church, but if you've never said yes to Jesus, yes to heaven, no to hell, yes to blessing, no to cursing. So many of you have been trying to do life in your own strength, charisma. Man, take a note from David. It will never be in your strength and talent. It will always be through obedience and God's will breaking through in your life reason why I say that, the first thing that you'll never ever be able to do in your own strength is save yourself. You'll never be able to have salvation in your own strength. You'll never be able to get good enough or strong enough or better enough. The only thing that is going to change your life is allowing God to save what you can't save and redeem what God wants to redeem. If that's you in the house with every head bowed and eye closed, you want to say yes to salvation, yes to blessing, no to curse. You want to say yes to Jesus today. The Bible very clear. There needs to be a response in your life. Confess your mouth, believe in your heart. It says, if that's you. I want you to raise your hand on the count of three and say, I want to say yes to salvation. I want to say yes to Jesus on the count of three. One, two, three. I want to say yes to Jesus. Raise it up. I see you, and I see you. Come on now. I see you. God bless you. Come on. Hands up. Come on. Such a good thing. I see you. God bless you. We guys stand up. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to go have some great Mother's Day brunches. Come on now. We discovered a good breakfast spot this week, my wife and I. Will you repeat after me? We pray this prayer at the end of every service. Pray it as a family. New people are now in the family. Somebody say this, Jesus, come into my life. Today, I confess, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. So today, I say, you are my Lord. You are my King. You are my Savior. I say goodbye to my past. I say hello to my uh, promises. I say goodbye to cursing. And I say hello to blessing. God use me. And everybody said? Love you, Mission Church.